Hello, welcome to the Big Scuba Show. Hello everybody, my name is Patrick and I'm here in the Big Scuba Podcast with Gemma and Ian. Today's episode is sponsored by Narked at 90, so let's find out a bit more about them. Narked at 90, their tagline has been beyond technical, which describes them pretty well. John Routley and Brent Hudson launched the company over 20 years ago. They are both technical divers who have logged thousands of mixed gas dives between them over a 30-year period. Using their engineering know-how and diving expertise have developed bespoke personal, commercial and military diving equipment and products of a universally recognised unparalleled calibre. Their ability to be adaptive and versatile with their developments led them to support the NHS during COVID. Using their superior knowledge of breathing and oxygen monitoring systems to help develop emergency ventilators. They also design and supply the sneaky stuff used by defence-based development groups throughout the Western world, although they can't tell us much about that. If you're thinking of moving across to tech diving or completely new to diving, Narked at 90 can advise and guide on the best equipment and setup for your personal or commercial requirements. Narked at 90 have unparalleled experience of shearwater dive computers, and are the longest serving and sole and UK European service centre for those. They are happy to offer technical support, servicing, repairs and upgrades to all Shearwater computers, past and present. Narked at 90 stock Shearwater computers, but are also stockers and technical support centre for many other manufacturers, including Divesoft, JJCCR, Hollis, Revo and Kiss Rebreathers. Based centrally in the UK, Narked at 90 also offer full rebreather head servicing for selected manufacturers. Bespoke cable assemblies. Advice on specific fitting requirements. Suggestions and guidance for home builds. Computer laser cutting and engraving. Pressure testing to simulate 400 metre dives. So, Narked at 90, a reputation built on supporting both manufacturers and divers worldwide. Go to narkedat90.com and make sure you are following their social media to keep up to date with their latest news and offers. Narked at 90, large enough to cope, small enough to care. <laughs> Hello everyone, welcome back to the Big Scuba Podcast. My name is Ian, I am your dive master and co-host of this lovely podcast and with me over all the way over on the uh the east coast of england is the east coast of england is Gemma. you sounded like you were going to do a song the big scoop of podcast <laughs> yeah well i've got man flu and you don't want me singing <laughs> full of it no, it's not COVID. We've had it a few days now. It's nearly on the way out. I know, I know, I know. So uh, not good, but there we go. It's you've carried it. on, so you've done the right thing. Battled on. Yeah, you're not being a typical man about it. Oh, That's oh, a bad thing <laughs> Hardly anyone would know. What? I haven't told the kids at all that I've got <laughs> a cold. Um, only yeah. every five yeah. minutes. Well, some people just keel over, don't they? Oh, I know, I know. I sold anyway, on. soldier on. Anyway, right. um, so we've got a guest, as we like to try and have on these uh, episodes, and this one is called... Patrick Whitman. Yes, and 
who is he? We we all asked. Who is Padre? We got to talk to him for the first time at the Go Dive show. We did. And that was back at the beginning of March. And we had a um, little mini interview with him that you can go over to YouTube and watch. Yeah. Um, and then we had him back for a more in-depth conversation um, a couple of weeks. Well, weeks and we kind of went over time, didn't we? So this is a bit of a longer one than we normally have out. Um, Patrick but- Wiggins from Austria beautiful part of the world and uh, one of the world's most experienced underwater explorers been involved in lots of different expeditions and mad about being underwater diving and passing the things and the skills and experiences that he's learned onto others yeah others uh, as an instructor and uh, he has uh, he runs a a couple of dive centers called protech Yes, yeah. So he, yeah, he's is just a explorer through and through, and very passionate about what he does, and yeah, doing an amazing, um, doing a job really well as well. Yeah, yeah. He's based out in uh, Mexico. Mm-hmm. It's where the dive centers are, and um, it's all about very similar to the conversation that we had with um, Jeff Seckendorf. Yes, um, yeah. About no taking no, yeah, no shortcuts. Um, you know, learning skills through and through and uh, yeah. enjoying it as well. And yeah, doing yeah. what you love. Yeah. Cause the diving is bit is the, mem- the most important thing, mm-hmm. not getting badges and stickers to say, Hey, I'm okay, this, I'm this deep. Yeah. Yeah. It's the diving what, and the experience is what's important. Yeah. But then on a kind of deeper level, he had some very wise words to, um, talk about didn't he and yeah yeah. he did yeah that was was really good and again I think it's one where even if you're just a recreational diver or not even a diver you can take something away from this conversation with Patrick oh definitely yeah and um I I think um deep because you know he talks about you know his feelings about being underwater Mm. um and also talks about the the downside of social media uh, talks a bit about that mm-hmm. um, because there is a downside to social media <laughs> it can be quite intrusive. And yes. It can yeah. be at the receiving end of the keyboard warriors. We, that we all know are out there. Yeah. Yeah. But on a yeah more positive note, it's a yeah very in-depth conversation with Patrick. Yeah. Uh, we're a little bit tired because we had late night on Thursday. We, had a fab night actually. Um, it was a long day, but totally worth it and uh, really cool. We got invited mm. to go to the opening of the 4D experience Dive the Mary Rose um, at the Mary Rose Museum. And that's the Mary Rose Museum is in Portsmouth, uh, which is yeah. on the south coast of the UK um, and the heart of uh, well maritime history um, and, and current maritime um, hub for the UK, where naval bases. So yeah, we went there Saturday, uh, not Saturday, Thursday evening, and it was um, so well attended by all people involved in the project Mary Rose. So obviously discovering it, um, the excavation, the archaeologists. And then the people that were the divers and yeah. raising it. And then obviously people involved in the museum to current day. Yeah. Yeah. So we've done some interviews. Um, 
um, actually, before we do, do that, the video lasts about it's about ten minutes, isn't it? Mm, there's an intro. Um, Ross Kemp narrates the intro and just goes over. Obviously, it was discovered years and years ago, and then was discovered, and then the the project to raise it, and then we all sat in a kind of little mini cinema, yeah, in our seats, um, and then put off. We had four D glasses. Is that we three D. No, we had 3D glasses <laughs> and the 4D bit is the, is the, there's, you know, your seat moves. Oh, is it? Okay. And there's bubbles. So there's bubbles on the screen <laughs> and then there's bubbles actually coming down. So it's like, um, you know, everyone had their hands out, didn't they, trying to catch the bubbles? Yeah, yeah. And there was even um, when the Mary Rosa was raised, it was like you were on the, one of the boats and you could feel the wind in your face. Yeah, yeah very clever, very yeah. clever. Yeah, so that was really, really good. So we got to see that. Um, we got to walk around the museum again and then hear some speeches from people. Oh, there's people in costume as well, weren't there? Yes, yeah, yeah. We spoke to one of the queens, didn't we, Queen Mary? And there was beer. Yes, powder Why? monkey beer. Powder monkey beer. Yeah. Um, that go, because that was rather quite nice. It was. I actually had my can last night. But, um, Did you? I was going to have mine tonight. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we got a little goodie bag. Um, so that there was gin there, Portsmouth gin, wasn't there? And yeah, Portsmouth gin's quite nice. I, I don't mind Portsmouth yeah. gin. Yeah, so it was just an amazing evening, really well attended, amazing people to talk to. And uh, yeah, we did. Mother's we... Ruin, did you know that? What, gin? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we're here to talk about diving, not alcohol. <laughs> oh, usually so go together. hand in hand. It's a bit... It's a bit like if you ever go shooting, there's always alcohol. Gun guns gets mixed with alcohol. Diving, although shouldn't, usually gets mixed with alcohol. After diving, after diving, yeah. So, so we uh, left. There. Um, that was well after ten o'clock, wasn't it? So, crawled into bed not long before three a.m. Friday morning. <laughs> uh, we should probably just say uh, if you are, and actually, you should book your tickets um, mm -hmm. because it is definitely worth going. We've got Easter holidays coming. Schools are off. Um, it is worth the trip down there. Go, you know, if you haven't been to the museum, honestly, it, it, you know, that whole area you've got, you've got at the minute, if you went next week, don't blame me if they're not there, but you've got the aircraft carrier sitting there. Um, so one of, two of the, the UK massive ones yeah aircraft carriers are sitting right there i think that's the prince of wales uh they got another warship just around the corner from there and then within easy access um which i do think you have to get separate tickets for um is hms warrior it's another old ironclad ship uh you then got hms victory yeah. horatio nelson's flagship well famous and still part of the royal navy Mm -hmm. All right. Um, and you've then got uh, access to other parts of the museum. Yeah, there's a naval a submarine museum. museum yeah. around the corner. And finish off, go to the museum, uh, the Mary Rose Museum. Go to maryrose.org, book your tickets, get in there, go look. Honestly, it's a, th it's a thing for all the family. You yeah, and the way the dockyard works you can either buy separate entrance tickets to each of the museums or you can buy one big ticket that you can then use for a whole year so you can do one visit and then go back 
and see another museum so yeah exactly it's quite worthwhile and if you're more local it's even more yeah great value yeah yeah it is so i can't i can't recommend it enough and uh i took honey and half there just before the lockdown so that's before this Mm. was open and they they loved it as well yeah yeah and i went a month ago with my parents and was amazing and then yeah got to go again did you did you remember when we were walking through and the um the actual ship is there uh not the pit when you're upstairs because it's two levels one part um you got all glass and that and that's sealed and then the other pit and that's more open on the top level yeah and you get that woodiness that (laughs) woodiness smell yeah and you're in a controlled atmosphere because obviously the boat is continually monitored it's in like oh so much science involved isn't there Mm -hmm. and one of the ladies was telling us about the laser uh system that they've got it's constantly measures um, yeah, the movement or if the there's movement any movement of the boat yeah because yeah. obviously yeah. it's still settling uh on that frame yeah but don't take our word for it book your tickets hell no go get just go get go get booked there's loads of places to stay um and, and yeah honestly even where there's poop that you know there, there's going to be loads of things <laughs> to technical frames yeah. yeah there's loads of things to see and do down there it, it is you got Easter holidays, go down there, go do it. Yeah. And if you go, let us know what you think. Yeah. Yeah. And do. then obviously this episode is episode 147. Episode yeah. 148 will be another Mary Rose um celebration. And we will have some interviews with people we spoke to last Thursday. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, <clears throat> so you'll learn a bit more about their involvement and their diving on the Mary Rose. And they are very keen. Um, because they all are aware of their, um, uh, what's the word, autumnal years, to put it politely, uh, that they are in their autumnal years, and they want to ensure their the things they've learned, their skills, their knowledge, have all, are all getting passed on. Exactly. So <clears throat> listen to the interviews. Um, it's worth listening to. They are short. Maybe uh, we can get them on for even longer. So it'd be good to get your feedback. If there's more that you want here, one of the ladies, she used to work on Concord. I know, yeah, amazing. And and then she, from diving and being an air stewardess, she then went on to do a PhD in marine yeah. biology. And yeah, so and a women divers hall of fame. Yes, yeah. So we actually spoke to a member diving of- royalty. Yeah, she was one of two, wasn't she, in the UK at the time? Yes, yeah. Yeah, Leslie. Runnels. Stop and think about that. That is quite an accomplishment, isn't it? So, mm. yes, uh, you... air, air stewardess on Concord, then uh, did a PhD, then got got into diving and got into help and raise. You know, one of the most famous wrecks in the world, the Mary Rose, and um, then got to talk to us. It's all down here. For <laughs> Yeah, we didn't even know she was a member of the Women Divers Hall of Fame until she just like came out with it. And I'm thinking, yeah. what? Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. Brilliant. It just shows you you never know what characters you get to talk to. No, you don't. In any uh, walk of life. And uh, yeah, always take the opportunity to talk to people. Don't let anyone ever tell you you can't do it because you can. You can. Yeah, yeah. And that fits very well with what Patrick says at the end of his podcast interview. Anyone would think we just think of these things, but hey, it all gels together just it like. Does. So, should we get him on? 
Yes, yep. So uh, this is Patrick Woodman and uh, episode 147 of Big Scoop podcast. Don't forget to go back to listen to the 146 other episodes as well. <laughs> right, enjoy the podcast. And go, go, go. Surely. Yeah. Uh, first of all, thanks for the invitation. I'm really, uh, really appreciate it. Um, so a little bit about me. I started, so as I just told you, I'm from a very small village in the middle of the Austrian Alps, about 700 people. And at the age of 12, I learned how to dive in a search and rescue team for lakes and rivers. And I was very passionate about diving from the first time. I'm 40 years now. So this has been really quite some time ago. But I literally still remember I have uh, vivid memories of my first ever dive. Mm-hmm. Uh, then in the last year of high school, I broke my back in a climbing accident. Um, and basically then was delayed for military or military said for one year we will not uh, draft you because of your injury and then after one year we have to have a look and so I ended up being a dive guide first in Croatia and then in Egypt and in Egypt I met a couple of really interesting people that basically ultimately made me stay in this sport and so I did five years in Egypt in 2005 I came the first time to Mexico and I did my cave class there and cave diving changed. I mean I was really passionate about diving before but cave diving changed it. It was not that passion any longer. It's it's the purpose of my existence. Yeah. And and exploring submerged caves around the world has been the biggest drive in my life for the past 15 years. And I've met the most interesting people. I've been to the most interesting places. And yeah, I would never, never change it for anything. And in Mexico, I have two dive shops called Protect Dive Centers. One is in Playa del Carmen and one is in Tulum. And in the times when I'm not traveling and exploring, I am back home teaching cave diving or you know helping the people that work for us or with us to teach proper cave diving to people. Wow, yeah. So going back to when you were a youngster, um, so you said you were 12, did you have yes. diving in the family or was it something completely new? No, it was uh, my father who was part of that search and rescue team also. So my, my dad was, I don't know, I honestly don't remember, but maybe like three or four decades in uh, voluntary Red Cross. And I guess at least 20 years in uh, mountain search and rescue team. Wow. And at least over a decade in the search and rescue team for water. So he was really into the whole mm. rescuing people thing. So you grew up from very young age, knowing what that was all about then? Uh, yes, and it's a family thing. Uh, my brother is also he's a paramedic for I don't know how many years. Also, so it's like a family tradition thing. I think I really enjoyed the diving, specifically the rescuing people. Uh, I, I don't think that this was something that I took over. Uh, you know, I for sure, you know, because of my profession, I was definitely part in a couple of uh, body recoveries in caves and and stuff like that. So you know, when the call comes, I'm definitely uh, there to answer it. But I have to admit, my my main focus was definitely the diving part. And like I said, from the first dive, I remember uh, how the wetsuit looked. I remember the the sea grass or like the the lake grass moving back and forth. I, I literally remember absolutely everything in detail. So it was something that left an unbelievable impression in my life. Yeah. Mm. What's so, the what, what's the um, lakes like to dive in? You know, are they, are they generally good visibility? pretty deep absolutely not absolutely not um generally deep yes we have a lot of uh lakes that are sub 100 meters deep wow uh visibility in the winter 
can be pretty good in the summer, not that much, but mm-hmm. it really didn't matter to me that much, to be honest. It was just a being underwater. Yeah. Right. There is the silence. There is, it's almost like a state of meditation. Uh, you're completely weightless. You're, you're much more aware about your own breathing because you, there's a, the sensation of breathing is different. You hear your own breath. I, I, I feel that you're much more in tune with your own thoughts, with the world and how you perceive everything. So I don't know, man. It's really, really absolutely important for me. I think in the past 20 years of my life, the maximum time I was out of the water was maybe two weeks or three weeks. And it was yeah. usually uh, health-related or some other weird coincidence. But other than that, I don't know. I, I most It's hard for me to go without diving for like a week. Yeah, you're partly amphibious then. <laughs> uh, most likely, yeah. <laughs> because I'm, I'm Scorpio and I said somehow that it's like a water sign. That's why I'm drawn so much to water. It's quite funny because today I walked... Uh, so I, w- I went to hospital to get, I told you about my ankle and then we walked around the lake because I'm like the, the capital of my, of my state is called Tselamse. It's like right at the lake. So we walked around the lake and just a reflection of the sun on the water. It's like, I don't know, there's something mesmerizing mm. to me to just to stare at water. Just water itself is very mesmerizing to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, that's understandable. And even being by water, underwater or on top of the water is, it means a lot to people. Yeah, I completely relate. And caves also. <laughs> so the mix of <laughs> caves and water, that is perfect. <laughs> so from your very young age, so did you progress doing your open water, your advance? Did you go right through the Latin to rescue very quickly? Yeah, yes, yes and no, because um, the curriculum in the search and rescue team was CMAS, CMAS. And there was a star system. I was uh, silver, bronze, and gold. I don't even remember. Was it like that? Bronze, silver, gold? I don't know. It was a three-star system. So I did that. And then when I moved to Egypt, I worked for a CDC, a career development center from PADI. So they did like 10 or 11 IDCs per year. Mm -hmm. And and they were like, hey, we want you to do the PADI route. So then I had to cross over to PADI. So I I did that. I became a dive master. And then I became an an instructor when I was 19. No, I was 19. Yes, I was 19. Wow. And I'm a full-time professional diving instructor ever since. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's just from that initial underwater experience that has been your, you've gone into a career. Yes, because from 12 until 19, I did, I also dove family vacations, Yugoslavia, Croatia, uh, Turkey, stuff like that. Like diving was always a big part of our, of our mm-hmm. family trips. Yeah. And then, like I said, and then in, when I had my broken back, I was like, what am I going to do for one year while my mates, while my friends are in military? I was like, well, and then my dad said, why don't you go somewhere and be a dive guide for a year? And somehow I never came back from that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it was understandable. <laughs> so, yeah. Things happen for reasons, don't they? Mm. Yeah. And it's a great job as well, being a dive guide, you know, and working in some great places to, uh, and hard job to leave I, was, I would imagine what was really interesting for me was just Egypt by itself right because I'm from from Austria I'm from a very uh I don't know a country with a lot of rules yeah. right there's a lot a lot a lot of rules there is also from an like educational point of view like if you 
it's maybe a bit elitist sometimes. Or I had the feeling like if you don't study medicine or law or architecture or international international business or something like that, it's just like you know what are you doing with your time? Mm-hmm. But it's quite funny because literally from my four best friends in high school, two of them are doctors right now. <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> uh, one is an orthopedic surgeon and the other one is uh, uh, emergency surgeons. So and I was the guy that I saw today. And, and yes, yeah, so I came to Egypt and suddenly nobody cared about what your educational status was. Nobody cared about how much money you had. Uh, no much, nobody cared where you were from, what your religion was. It was just like, if you're a nice person, you know, come and hang out. And if you're, if you're not, then not. And I, I learned quite quickly that I was not a guide personality. Um, but, you know, my both, both of my parents are school principals. So... I was, I'm, I'm prefer to be an educator. I really love to share my knowledge with other people. So, so I literally at the end at the contract, like if I'm not teaching, if there's nothing to teach, I'm going to stay home because the yeah. guiding thing was not my thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And is that yeah. why you then started bridging into and moving into tech? And take, go <clears throat> that's a, that's a bit of a, that's a bit of a weirder story. So my first mentor was Italian, Luigi. And he was he was the the person why I'm still in this. I'm I'm pretty sure about that. Yeah. I wasn't really the 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 best person in school. I was quite average to be honest. And for many things, I kind of like fought to survive. Funny enough, um, the number one thing my teachers would say to my parents is like, Patrick is not a language talent, which of course is a bit weird considering I speak four and like another two or three conversational a little bit. But wow. anyways, I wasn't re- I wasn't really cutting it in school. So, so like my self-perception was always a bit like, you know, I'm not really good in anything. I don't really know what to do with my future. There's not really anything that crystallized out of my school education where I'm like, I'm going to chase that dream. Or mm. So it's a bit lost. And then, I, and then I met this Italian guy and he was like, bro, you're like so good in this whole being an instructor thing. I don't know why you want to do something else. Like you should just maybe just skip the whole university idea and just stay being a diving instructor. And... And well, and then unfortunately, um, very, very tragically, he got uh, fatally electrocuted in the shower while I was sitting in the living room. Oh, and of course, for like, a, yeah, of course, for like a 19 year old or 20 year old thing, that was quite horrific of uh, the scream and then the water coming out from under the shower. And then I resuscitated him for like 20 minutes and we couldn't get an ambulance to come there. And it was really quite tragic. Long story short, then. So. I brought back his stuff to his family in Milan. Um, and then the parents were like, well, we don't know what to do with this diving equipment. We don't have any use for it. And part of it was also like a backplate and wings and long hose, just technical diving equipment. And at that time, technical diving was really quite in its infancy, specifically for mm-hmm. like Paddy. Right? Paddy had just came out with the tech rec back then, tech rec program. Mm-hmm. And... And it's a long story short, so I'm coming back to Egypt. And uh, there's a dry suit company called D-Tech, right? And it's owned by another Italian called uh, Oscar Galetto. And Oscar, and I was an IDC staff instructor at the time. So I came to an IDC. And, you know, I was still really upset and it worked out about the whole situation. And I met Oscar there. And Oscar was like, hey, so, you know, I heard what happened to Luigi. I'm really sorry about that. And, you know, he always talks so highly of you. You know, I would, I would be happy to kind of like keep on training you the way that he did mm-hmm. and hey by the way i'm just starting this tech deep class is the first one in egypt and uh and i'm still looking for students and you know if you want you can join so that's how i 
by a total accident ended wow. up in technical diving. That was in 2002. And it instantly became a real, real big passion, mostly because of the challenge and the intensity of it. Yeah. And, uh, and is it the and, kind yeah, of... Does the learning um, sort of grab you because you're learning something different? Yeah, and it was also complicated because at that time, my English, I still, like, I remember I remembering reading uh, Understanding M Values by Eric C. Baker with my Oxford Dictionary. So I had to, like, translate the words to understand what the, what, I, what the heck I'm reading. So that was really <laughs> challenging. And, and then for the most of the time, because there was no other people around, I did most of the dives on my own. So, you know, doing my first you know, 100 meter dives and sub 100 meter dives completely isolated by myself being 20, right. 21 years old. No, mm -hmm. I was a bit late. I was maybe 22. Was intense. And and yeah, and I did my original trimix training with a British instructor called Lee Cunningham who ran uh, the technical diving department of Ocean College at that time. Wow. And I think at the time it was quite funny because in the TDI manual in the back, it had like a... Um, a study in there, like what's the average age of a TDI, certified TDI trimix diver? And I think it was somewhere in the 40s. I don't remember. In my mind, it says 45, but I might be wrong. And I was literally like 21 or 22. And and he was like, dude, when he met me, because we only uh, had like text messages, right? And he met me in Sharm and he was like, wow, you're like a kid. <laughs> I'm like, I had like no facial hair, no nothing. That was quite funny. So, it was really quite funny because now when I was on the uh, on the go diving show, I actually met another student that was on that class. Wow. So I was like, wow, we did yeah, we did our traumatic diving traumatic training together twenty years ago, and she said, well, you know, back then you were so serious, and <laughs> we were all like rental equipment, and you were upset about that. Uh, you're like, you know, how can you do this class being in rental equipment? And so, I was like, yeah, you know, I think I think I was like that. <laughs> so what was you on when you was down? So you I'll just go back to what you were just then saying then. So really early on, you was down at what a hundred meters on your yeah. own. Wow. Yeah. And that's yeah. like and you without hard what hardly any training? No, 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 no. I did that was You've after training, training with yeah, yeah, yeah. I just had no buddies. Right. Right, there wasn't a lot of people around in those days that would dive to 100 meters. No, so that's a long way. It, it wasn't. It, yeah, road, it wasn't. It? Well, well, sometimes my brother would tag along, and he would just hang out on the plateau in like 30 meters and just wait for me to pass by. Yeah, or like you know, looked looked at me going down and then just waited there. And sometimes that was funny too, because dive guides would swim up to him and be like, hey, "He's a professional, or he's a, uh, a dive master, and we lived in Egypt for uh, over a year." So they would just pass by and be like, "Where's your buddy?" And he was just like pointing down, <laughs> it's like he's somewhere <laughs> down there. And then, of course, not always, because then I was in a in a project where we did a study, or not we, I'm not the university person, but where they did study on uh, black corals in the twilight zones. So I, I, you know, we measured, we did some mapping there of. Uh, of a plateau and we brought some samples up so yeah. sometimes i also had buddies of course but not always so was you on what was you on when you was down there back then was it uh, back then i'm almost if, uh, ashamed to admit that but back then we used heli air which was the thing to do at that time it was 10 52 oh. um but also i realized quite early enough that i got knocked like there's no tomorrow and okay. that caused quite a bunch of anxiety and other problems and so when we started to collaborate with NRC, which is the Nitrogen Rebuilder College. 
in the dive shop where I was at, we were one of the first people to have a, a membrane system. So that means there was nitrox 32 coming out of our compressor. So then I started instead of heli air to mix basically helium with nitrox 32. So yeah. that would give you like a higher uh, percentage of oxygen so with a very high down. percentage of helium. Yeah, well, I could have really high helium, which would eradicate my narcosis, but not have a crazy low oxygen level. Mm. And is this on open circuit or rebreather? Yes, it's all open circuit. Right. Uh, and that that gas was like a 1070. So 10% oxygen, 70% helium. And with that in 100 meters, I was pretty light. I was really clear-headed. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Certainly sort of a pave maker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So from obviously yeah, but in the, but in the, but in the same time, already at this time, I was standing on the shoulders of giants, right? I learned a lot of things uh, from Oscar Galetto. I learned a lot of things from from Lee Cunningham, but yeah, but yeah, that was like before there was Multigas computers and yeah, like all of my my initial dives were just done with tables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. amazing. And it well, it's good grounding, isn't it? Because now, you know, when you learn, you just briefly cover tables, and then it's you've got your dive computer. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I also realized that. And this is something that I fight with a little bit nowadays is when people just try to progress so fast through all of the educational steps and it's made so much easier by technology. Right for us to dive to 100 meters in open circuit with dive tables was, was pretty gnarly. Nowadays, diving to 100 meters with a, with a rebreather maybe and, a, and an inline dive computer is like, I don't know, dude, it's pretty, you can teach this somebody pretty fast. Yeah. But of course, it's one thing to be able to do it, but it's the other thing if you have a lack of experience. Right? There's no substitute for experience. Yeah. You can like read all the manuals, watch all the videos, you know, do an amazing job on all of the skills and drills in the swimming pool, or even but there's no substitute for experience. Right. And the problem is, as long as everything goes good, it's you know, easy peasy. But the moment something goes wrong, without the necessary experience, you will realize very, very fast that you're alone a long way from home. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's a problem. Then it depends how people react to that. And does this now, you, you know, you, you run um, ProTech, the dive centers. So does is that the backbone and the fundamentals behind the teaching that gets involved with that? Uh, certainly. Certainly. Um, in ProTech, because also as an explorer, I've been traveling so much to extreme remote areas like Madagascar and Haiti and Tanzania and, and other places. And we've done quite spectacular diving there, yeah. right? It's, it, Haiti, for example, was not just a hundred meters. It was like an hour bottom time in the middle of nowhere, an hour and a half walking away from the next village. Wow. So, so that's really big decompression and with absolutely zero support. Yeah. And well, you have just to be really quite conservative, right? Because there's no, there's no recompression, but you can't even do in-water recompression because it's not deep enough there at the cave entrance. And, and in part, was like with completely improvised gases, uh, welding shop helium, uh, oxygen from the hospital, then try to find an adapter to make it blendable and stuff like that. So in all of this experience, um, obviously runs also into my courses. Yeah. And, and then specifically, you know, being in, in ProTech, and having other people come up in our curriculum is amazing because then I can take all of the experience that I have and distill it and give it on to them and then they can give it on to students. Yeah. But besides that, 
the majority of my staff by now has substantially traveled as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. So my staff has been diving and exploring in an incredible amount of places. Most of them have been to Madagascar on science trips, uh, Sardinia, France, Florida, pretty much all of them. Amazing. Mm. Yeah. And that's all experience as well, isn't it? Of course, of yeah. course. And this is also what is like, what really, you know, characterizes one of the guys that works in product. Boys and girls alike are completely and utterly obsessed and addicted by diving. Any part of money they make goes into some sort of diving related expense. Mm-hmm. Uh, on their days off, they go diving. Um, if they get off earlier from work, there's a pretty good chance they're going to be in the jungle in the evening. Yeah, that's good. So you meant so we've mentioned like deep diving, tech diving on open circuit, um, and then you've progressed to caves. So what made is that all part of the exploration? No. So maybe I was ignorant at that time, but tr- truth be told, being in Egypt, I did not know much about cave diving or anything at all, to be honest. I was at the time, hang on, I was uh, 18, 23. I was 23 years old and I was a petty master instructor, which at the time from Petty Hetlingen, which was the European um, the European office of, of Paddy was I was one of the youngest master instructors there was. And I was already a nomoxic trimix instructor as well from INTD. So truth be told, I felt basically like I'm on top of the top. And and then I got a book because we found a little cave in Shabrua. And then I went diving there with the German guy. And the German guy gave me a book. And the book is called Beyond the Deep. And it's basically the story of um, Barbara Mende and um, and um, I'm a bit sitting on the wrong, on the wrong thing. And his name is... <laughs> I can't remember his name right now. Give me one second. Uh, Bill Stone. Thank you very much, Patrick. Okay. So Bill Stone and Barbara Mende. And Barbara Mende wrote the book about their expedition to Watla which is a high plateau in Oaxaca in the state of Mexico. And at that time, they were exploring literally the deepest caves. Um, I think at the current state, it's 1,900 meters down. And they had to pass several water-filled knees to get there. And it's like a two-week type of expedition. But anyway, so I received the book from this guy. And I opened a book in the middle. And you can basically see them sleep on a ledge um, like we use in, in alpinism. Yeah. So they're, they're sleeping on an artificial ledge with uh, the water-filled crust beneath them and it's illuminated and the reapers are hanging there. So and as I'm reading this book, so this Bill Stone guy basically works for NASA and he's a NASA uh, engineer. And and he realizes exploring those deep uh, caves that every he would just run out of cylinders, right? And they would go from aluminum tanks then they would go to carbon fiber so they could bring more tanks and then they would run, they would always run out of breathable gas because you cannot transport the compressor underwater. Mm. So once they, you know, pass several sumps, because not only do you have to bring yourself over in the cylinders, eventually if you want to sleep there, you have to bring camps over, right? You have to bring food. So, and all of this consumes compressed air or compressed gas. And so he then built 
I think it was one of the first expiration rebreathers at that time called FRED, fail-safe rebreather for expiration diving. Later, be known as Cis Luna, which is, you know, the most famous old-school rebreather. And in fact, uh, Buddy Inspiration. So before AP built the inspiration, Buddy Inspiration basically was kind of like copying it a little bit because even that yellow box was how the Cis Luna looked like. Of course, the Cis Luna is way more sophisticated, way more expensive and way more complicated. But the but inspiration then ultimately became like the first, you know, quite, I don't know, commonly used rebreather. And it was very much um, similar, a lot of similarities to the Sistoon at that time. Mm-hmm. And it was also my first rebreather. The first rebreather I used was uh, but inspiration 2005, I think. But anyway, so I received that book about cave diving and being an alpinist, right? I told you I, I broke my back in, in yeah. a climbing accident. So being an alpinist and like opening a book is like, hang on a second. You can climb and dive in the same sport. So this is how I, I became interested in it. Then I wrote a, bu- a couple of emails and the person that, you know, answered, I don't know, the most, the best way was a German guy called Andreas W. Mattes or known in the diving industry as Matt. And he was in Plano Cabin, Mexico. And I was like, okay, hey, dude, I'm going to come there for two months. And I have uh, $10,000 in cash with me that I saved over the years in Egypt and just teach me everything there is to know about cave diving. <laughs> and so that's how it started. Uh, so my... and, and here's the funny... Yeah. Well, once you entered a cave diving, did you? was it just like a revelation again, like going underwater for the first time? Uh, very good question, because this is something... I just want to say that. So funny enough, in my ignorance... I thought in cave diving, we would just go there. We're going to lay the line. So then I arrived there and he was like, no, the line's already there. We just have to connect the surface water to the line. And then we just follow lines. I was like, hang on a second. There's already lines there. This (laughs) sounds kind of boring. And I remember my first dive in Ponderosa. I was sort of like a bit underwhelmed because it was so big and crystal clear water. And then we would see the entrance on the other side. Mm -hmm. So it it felt like fake. You know, it's like, oh, there's already light again. So, but then from dive to dive, as we went further and deeper and more complicated, I became more interested. But uh, true story, um, as part of your cave training, the instructor at some point is going to ask you what your motivation for cave training is, right? They want to know if it's a positive motivation or if you do it because of peer pressure or ego or whatever. So we're three people. He asked the first person, which is Mexican, what is your motivation for cave training? And he says, well, you know, I want to be a cenote guide, uh, a cavern guide. You know, it's good money to you know feed my family mm. and i was like ah, that's a pretty good reason then he asked the second guy which was a guy from switzerland and he said well you know i want to be cave trained because i'm really into the technique right the propulsion techniques and how to be flat and how to reverse rocky helicopter turn like all of the complexity of of the of, of cave training is really interesting to me and then he looks at me and i i could not relate to either one of them i was like i want to explore <laughs> like why would anybody do this if you don't want to be an explorer. Like I want to be an explorer. Yeah. yeah. And funny enough, Matt was quite laughing about that at the time. And and by complete coincidence, at the end of my stay, they did an INTD uh, like information evening, and they had Paul Heinert there, absolute legend, and Sam Meacham. And Sam Meacham presented a, a I think it was Discovery Channel or BBC. I don't remember. Maybe it was Discovery Channel. The Hidden Worlds of the Maya, something like that it was called. And it was him and 
and um, Steve Bogarts, which is British also. Yeah. Them exploring, them basically exploring the Mayan underworld. So I'm like watching this video and I'm just so mesmerized by it. So I, at the end of the show, I'm like sitting with Sam on the on the bar and I'm like, yo, Sam, dude, how in the world do you get that job? Like how in the world do people pay you to go explore caves? Little did I know there's nobody that pays you. But if you have a good enough job with enough free time, you make enough money and you have enough spare time to go explore on your own. <laughs> But yeah, it's, it's kind of cool. So he spent literally like an hour. He was working for a university in Texas, if I'm not mistaken. And and so we talked like for an hour maybe about, you know, what it is to be an explorer. And, and it was quite an interesting situation when like, I don't know, 10 years later, I, w- I was just coming back from the third or fourth trip to Madagascar. And we had been like, you know, in every news outlet, uh, New York Times, CNN, NBC News, uh, you name it. And I was walking down towards my blue and there's like Sam and some students in the water. And he was like, hey, guys, you know, this is Patrick. He's like the cave explorer that's currently envied by absolutely every cave explorer on the world. And I was like, dude, you know, I'm only in this because of you. Wow. <laughs> that's kind of cool. Yeah. Well, it just shows you where we always say, like for new divers, when they're just starting out, you never know where it's going to lead. And, you know, it could be a career. It can be like a pastime. But the world is it diving has so many uh directions that you can go yeah and and you prove it's you know, it's prove that it's it's almost endless i just hang out with toddy Vellele, which is uh the owner of protec in sardinia and it's obviously an unbelievable famous uh european cave explorer and we just talked about that and it's like you know man if i think about all the things that i know right about physiology about physics about mechanics, right? Hydraulics, uh, compressors, uh, chemistry, the absorbent. Uh, if I distill like how to run business and marketing and how to do trips, and if I think about all of the different jobs that are all living in my head at the same time, it's we are underpaid <laughs> by a lot. <laughs> but but it's interesting what you say about new diet because I receive quite a lot of messages i would say at least one per week maybe twi- sometimes twice per week yeah. of young divers that send me a message on instagram or facebook or uh, got a hand on my email and they're like so patrick you know i've been following you doing this or doing that and my question is you know how how do you do this like how do i end up I, if i want to have a life like yours how do i do that and and the reality is there's really no no secret to it Mm. Um, I'm from a single raising mother that's an elementary school teacher or principal so money was you know pretty average I'd say um, but the reality is I just you know took diving not like a hobby uh, mm. when I was in Egypt I was more like a university thing so yeah. I literally read absolutely everything there was on the internet at the time or anything else I could get my hands on it no matter what language it was I would just translate it yeah and learn it from the very beginning i would choose my instructors very very carefully uh, take lee cunningham for example so my mother had just arrived in egypt and and back then for her to come and visit me in egypt was was pretty out there financially but i had a chance to jump on a course with lee two days later so my mom arrived in Uganda, and i was like hey mom sorry to tell you <laughs> but I have to go to Sham. I'm going to be back in a week. So she was not very 
she was not very happy about that. <laughs> so, so it also comes from a lot of sacrifice. Mm. Uh, you know, you really, so if you, if, if people think, ah, oh, you know, you're just going to be on the beach and you're going to do some diving and later, of course you can do that. But let me tell you out of experience, I don't know a lot of people that stayed with recreational diving for a lifetime. Mm. That was usually people that started as a second career, maybe at age in their late mid late thirties. But I don't know anybody that started at age 18, 19, 20, and then stayed until they're like 50 or 60 years old teaching paddy courses. Yeah. I, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe at some point they became like base leader or manager of a place, which of course financially is better. Mm. But then also the question is a little bit like, you know, being a dive center, just being the manager or, or I don't know. It sort of feels like you get all of the disadvantages of a regular job and, and, you know, I don't know. The advantages of uh, of my job is I get to do a lot of really really fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And your enthusiasm is just yeah, it comes through totally. So if if a new yeah. new diver came to you and said, um, "Have you got any advice for me? I'm just doing my open water." What would you say to a very new young diver? I guess at, at this stage, not a lot. I think the first step, like open water and stuff like this, doesn't really matter much. Mm. Uh, do do somebody that's that's enthusiastic and, and and loves it yeah i think that's the most important uh a good example would be my mother so my mom wanted to dive with me because she realized it's such a huge passion for me so she tried on a on a vacation in croatia i don't know how old you would have been at that time maybe late maybe in 40s early mm-hmm. 40s maybe late 30s and and she just couldn't, it was still CMAS standards. So they're really quite rough. There's a lot of free, at that time, there's a lot of free diving involved. My mom at this time was still smoking cigarettes. And uh, and yeah, so she couldn't, she couldn't, you know, deal with all the free diving mm-hmm. stuff. And so she failed the class, so to speak. And then when she came to visit me, she would just go snorkeling, stuff like that. And I think it was years and years and years until on a day off, I went snorkeling with her. And I was like, hey, mom, you know, like even with this little waves and stuff, you're controlling your airways pretty good. And, you know, maybe we should try this diving thing again. And and we took her on a try dive, me and my brother. And by the luckiest coincidence ever, like we're literally holding her by the hand, him on the left, me on the right. And we hear this squeaking noise and we look up and it's like 15 dolphins that just wow. cruise over us, turn around, turn around. And my mom is just almost breaking my hand from excitement. <laughs> and after that, she was sold on the idea to become a certified diver. Um, I did her open water course actually and advanced in that drugs and now my mom uh, has I don't know hundreds of dives um, did all of the cenotes and caverns in in Mexico and and I think this is also something that is really important for me as a diving instructor is it's so easy when your students struggle with a specific skill to just be like well you know they're just stupid Uh, they're just not capable they're just this or they're just that because it makes you feel better about yourself, right? It's your ego protecting yourself. It's not like, well, maybe I'm not a good instructor, but maybe I'm not I'm not able to break the skill down in an easy enough way, or maybe I'm not able to show it in an easy enough way for them to understand. Right? It's easy to be like, just blame the student. Right? You're, just, you're just not good enough. And, and this has been really important for me because ultimately an instructor like that costed my mom maybe a decade yeah. full of amazing experiences underwater, a decade of diving with her, with her children. So I'm trying to convey that 
also to my instructor candidates and and also to to my staff right sometimes we have of course a, a whatsapp group and sometimes they're like well you know my student is doing this and my student is doing that and i always urge them to be like well first try to figure out what you could do different mm-hmm. in order to you know uh, prepare your students for success but right? maybe you know you could have said something in the briefing that would have avoided them to make this mistake or maybe you could have demonstrated differently or yeah. So if you're a new, new, new diver, just, you know, look for somebody that is, that has compassion and that is kind of, that's really excited about diving. I think that's the first good step. Yeah. yeah that's and great. then nice. if it's, and then if it's really yours, then no shortcuts. If you really feel this is setting your soul on fire, no shortcuts. Mm-hmm. Look for the best possible training, interview teach. your instructors mm-hmm. That's not a, something you In, can teach. That what you had twenty, you know, twenty years ago, and when you were first diving, you know, you've still got, and it's thanks to the people that you were, um, you were meeting along life's journey that kept on reinforcing that, you know, that passion and that drive. Because this, when you look and listen to the things that you've been doing um and the journeys you know when you you, you, to go down 100 meters on your own um and all these things and then set up a dive centers and then put that uh passion installed into new divers to then carry that on you know that's something you can't teach and 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 i think that, that takes a lot of drive to do that um and it's really great to hear you say that um because i think when you are looking around and i can think of students that's come through the system and then you think you wonder why you never see them at the water you know why don't we see him carrying on diving you know and my daughter is now going to learn to she's now learning to dive um and I, i want to make sure that she has that that passion, the, the things that you're talking about, you know, the, I, I really would love that with, with with her if she's like, wow, I want, I want more of this. And and, and I, it's a very, you, I don't think you can teach that, although I think students look up to, to someone like yourself and, and, and in other instructors and they see that passion come through and they want i want some of that excitement you know i want that and but it's finding the right people like you said you've got to yeah. find the people yeah. that have got that passion yeah. to like spare you on through yeah. and you know the people you've come across it's so fortunate because it's got you where you are isn't it and it's yeah. just certainly um it definitely started me in the right direction because first of all, I most really mostly Luigi. Maybe I was also still so young to be so impressed by him. But even in retrospect, I mean, he died. He was thirty years old. Mm. But but at that time when I met him, diving was not a hobby. Really not. N- nothing about it was a hobby. Mm. He had. He was also about to open his own diving center. And he had designs of how the perfect hanger would look like to put the wetsuit on so it wouldn't break through the shoulders because yeah. the neoprene, like every little of a diving center and how diving should be, he had in his notebook drawn out until the last very detail of it. Yeah. yeah. And that's passion, you know? isn't 
it, it's 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 insanity. <laughs> but, like he would show me how to demonstrate skills. Uh, in the in we had we lived in a hotel, right? So we are in the hotel room, and the sliding door of the cabinet was made out of a mirror, and we would literally be kneeing in front of the mirror with the diving equipment on. So you would actually look at yourself and you would see what the student is seeing when you demonstrate. Right? And he would like point stuff out to me. Well, you should do it like this. You do it like that. He had like a, a wooden board that looked like a swimming pool. And you know, when we would take pictures of film, the little film uh, boxes, those were like student instructors and he would like move them around in a swimming pool to understand, you know, how can you control your group while mm -hmm. you demonstrate to see everybody? And if you work with this student, where do you want your group to be? He was mental in regards to detail. Yeah. And when you take it that serious, right, then it's not like this laughed off funny little hobby. It's like, oh, you're just like a, you know, you know what they say, those who can't do teach and those who can't teach, teach a sport. So, so obviously when I started with the whole diving career thingy, my parents weren't super stoked about that, right? I'm from a, <laughs> I'm from a really, really uh, driven by education family. My both parents are, school principals, my brother went to university. So me not going to university, but being a diving instructor was was not really, <laughs> woohoo, we're so happy for you. But I had to prove, <laughs> I had to prove, by the time I was the first time in the New York Times, I think by then it was, by then it was okay on, on the cover of National Geographic. But until that moment, I had to do quite a lot of convincing. Yeah. But for sure, for sure, having people like that um, show you the way, and, and make you understand if you throw yourself completely and 100% into this, it will stop to be a hobby. Yeah. But it, it will stop to be just this little side project. No, no, no. If you really throw yourself into that, like it would be university, you can have quite a huge amount of success also. Uh, also from a financial point of view, which is not really that, uh, at least wasn't ever that important for me, but it can be something very fulfilling. And then most certainly, I have to admit for myself, it's a really important balance. If I just teach and, and travel and teach, I'm getting a bit burned out from it. When I'm just exploring, right? So when we do these long trips, like one month of Madagascar, and I'm exploring every single day, I'm getting a bit burned out from it too. Mm. Like I do need, I do need the balance. And besides the balance, something that is extremely important for keeping a passion alive it cannot be monotonous. So, so something that's really important for me is, you know, traveling and teaching people in different environments. Yeah. Because it produces a lot of pressure, right? If people pay your, your flight and your hotel to go from really, really far. So besides the normal course fee, they have to pay another $1,000 or $1,500. Of course, split between the students, but it's still, you know, it increases the course price for quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, you can't, uh, you have to, you have to deliver. Yeah. yeah. You, can, you can't rock up there and be like freighting around. You know what I mean? You really, really, really have to show them why yeah. they went through the trouble of, of not going with a local instructor, but flying you in. So that produces a lot of pressure. Yeah. Then specifically for me, that I'm mostly diving in warm waters, suddenly to be in like four degree water, five degrees, six, seven degree with heated clothing and like all this undergarment it puts a lot of pressure, right? Because I still have to perform to the level that they expect me to perform based on, you know, like videos of Mexico or, or yeah. what they know about me. So obviously I say yes to those things because I'm excited about going somewhere new. The week before I hate it. <laughs> uh, I say to myself, why did you do that? 
you could just be at home, be in your own house, uh, play with your dog, go to the gym, do the diving in the places that you know. You can do it half asleep. Why did you have to go across the freaking world and, and do it there? But when you're there, but, it's different. But then when you're there and you do the first day and people just go like, wow then you go like yeah, yeah. So it, it definitely it definitely keeps everything super Absolutely. exciting and yeah 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 and it just shows how infectious when you're with people that have got passion you know like yourself and you then students and then you know you're bouncing off each other aren't you with that passion and, yeah, and, and, and you can definitely see you can definitely see people that go through the trouble of literally headhunting their instructor Right. That means they, they, they have read up on you. Like mm-hmm. I sometimes come like they know exactly who I am, where I'm from, my past, what I did. It's, yeah. it's quite it's quite impressive sometimes. So when I, you know, it, in my opinion, that's a bit what it takes, though. Right. If you really, really want to take the serious, if you're in a place where you can just run through certifications without ever having the feeling to have achieved anything, yeah. if you could do like seven certifications in one year with the same guy, there's something wrong. And the problem is you think you're achieving a lot, but at the end of the day, you're going to climb up that monkey ladder of certifications and then you're going to reach the top and you're going to feel like you've achieved nothing and it was all worthless and then people are just dropping out of it. When you research your instructors and, and you go to people that really, really know what they're doing and what they're teaching, you will find it way more challenging. That is so and, true. Second, yeah. and second, they will not, wave you through certifications like it's going out of style so and in that moment in that moment when you put that importance to what you do that's what you get back what you put in is what you it sounds like a cliche but it's really what it is yeah Yeah. it doesn't matter about the agency so much it's about the person and i was looking to move up to um go down like the tech route or side mount something like that I would be looking at, as you said, the instructors, because you want to have that. You don't want to be just a, num- a number. You don't want to be another tick in the box for them. You want you you want that passion to come through that they're excited when they see you excited, and that don't yeah. always happen. And I, you know, yeah. I've seen that myself. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I think that's brilliant. Yeah. And and another and another tip that I always, always give. You know, what I see sometimes when an instructor has their self-esteem from being an instructor, right? If their self-esteem comes from whatever plastic card they're holding, Mm. they're not always the greatest people because I feel there's a lot of condescending. There's a lot of patronizing. There's a lot of like, you know, like I'm the big star instructor and you and, and yeah. So I think if you go to people that do a lot of, lot of, are diving in their spare time uh right then they do a lot of challenging diving yeah and mm-hmm. teaching is like yeah you know i'm a i'm an instructor for this but really i'm more a diver than an instructor if that makes sense yeah so so then usually they are like easier to deal with i i find and, and also anyways if somebody's only jumping in the water to teach at the end of the day right teaching is sharing your experience this is really like the word teaching just means you're sharing. Yeah. Are you sharing your experience? If somebody only collects their experience during teaching other people, how much experience do you really have? It's quite interesting for me. Sometimes when I'm in a parking lot and something not, and I listen to people teaching serious ability and I just 
Like, listen to what they're saying. I look at them and I ask myself, have you ever been in serious ability? Or has that been like only blindfold during training? So, because a lot of the stuff, that doesn't really make a lot of sense in, mm. in real life. Or sometimes I see on Facebook when uh, people come up with like solutions to, you know, how to cut the line when you're entangled in it and have like all of these contraptions and how, and I'm like, that's just really not how real life is playing out. So, you know, sometimes I'm like, when people just teach something, but don't actually really experience it in real life, they also tend to like imagine this like weird things that would actually go down, but they kind of like don't because that's not how real life is. So I would really recommend to people research your instructor. Uh, it would be great if that person teaches quite a bit, because that usually means they know something about educating others. But in the same time, you want them to be diving a lot uh, in their spare time yeah. in as many different environments as possible so yeah. that they can take all of this experience and distill it and give it to you. Yeah, no, that's really good advice. Yeah, that's a, and yeah, the enthusiasm comes out. So if you could take three people diving, they don't have to be divers, but just for the experience of diving, who would you take and why? Wow. Past, present, famous, like anybody yeah, any, in the any, world. Absolutely anybody, yeah. My grandmother. <laughs> because she's too old to do that. Uh, she's going to be 97. Wow. March, uh, April, April 2nd. And she has lived through a lot of my adventures from the distance. So I guess it would be cool to like share that with her. Yeah. Oof. After that, who I would like to go dive with Jack Axley who was an absolute pioneer in cave diving and, and a guy that I really, really, you know, I read a lot of books about him and stuff that he did, so that would be really cool. And then, yeah, I have to admit, I, I would most likely go with another diver from the past. <laughs> uh, <laughs> rather, rather, than, rather than family members or some famous people. Uh, I think I would take Jochen Hasenmeier as the other one, which was basically... Shaq Axley's German counterpart. Right. Uh, who is, by the way, still alive. <laughs> but <laughs> he's he's paralyzed and and actually went back diving like in a little submarine. Wow. But I guess I guess meeting him and diving with him. I guess it would be also cool if he could then swim in my fantasy dive. So that would be yeah. pretty great, I think. No, they're really good answers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because because the reality is with a lot of my other heroes, I actually got to go diving. Yeah. Uh, I had a, I had training with Jared Chablonski, which is uh, was one of the real push divers of the WKPP. We did, uh, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, just insane dives. Wow. Uh, 16 kilometers in 90 meter depth, 24 hour dives, like completely outrageous stuff. Amazing. Uh, he also founded the, the Global Underworld Explorers uh, and has designed insane equipment for Halcyon. So, like, wow, what an absolute legend. So I did a class with him. Uh, Ed Sorensen from Florida did a bunch of diving with him. Yeah. Uh, so I was really quite, like, obviously Lee Cunningham. <laughs> so it's actually quite funny. So Lee Cunningham was my was my trimix instructor, and I got to return the favor when I taught him how to cave dive and how to dive side mount. So, and also funny enough, Oscar Galetto, uh, which was my mentor in technical diving, also got to teach him how to cave dive and, and how to dive side mount. So, <laughs> but there so, you so go, far, I was, comes, I was really... That comes back to you sharing your knowledge yeah. and sharing your enthusiasm. You, you know, you're giving back what you had given to you, didn't you? Yes, yes. And then I dove with Brian K. Cook, uh, absolute legend also. And funny enough, when 
we were there in Bahamas. He was like, hey, do you guys mind uh, if a friend of mine comes tomorrow? I'm like, no, no problem. So next day, this guy comes and I look at him. I'm like, man, I know you from somewhere. And he's like, well, my name is Kenny, Kenny Broad. And I'm like, hang on, Kenny, are you in that book, The Deep Descent from Barbara and Bill Stone? And he was like, yeah, that was me. And I'm like, you got to be kidding. So basically, they were like full circle. When yeah. I actually met one of the people in the book that got me to go cave diving in the first place. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, really amazing. Yeah. 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 And, you know, you're young and, you know, you've had all this experience and, you know, what the next 20, 30 years are going to hold as well. So. <laughs> right right now, considering my, my physical state, I don't know if I can do this by another 20 years, man. But uh, You'll be fine. You need to rest and then you'll be sorted. <laughs> but my exploration partner uh philip lehman he is 58 i believe i might be wrong he might be 56 yeah i I don't remember right now something in the in the second half of his 50s and he is a huge reason also why i'm so enthusiastic because together with him i've been on some of the worst places on the planet in regards to comfort (laughs) uh no food for a couple of days uh sleeping on really really rough places uh and exploring completely off the grid and yet no matter how bad the circumstances got uh he's just a guy that always has a joke on his on his lips and like just always bullshitting and being uh, you know completely uh you know just jokes just joking around not taking anything serious and and having a great time doing that so he's definitely way up on that list also incredible um, do you think there's like um uh this isn't one of our set questions but you know, i was just then kind of thinking about it as we were then uh talking but do you think there is like an upper limit on age of doing this type of diving um i'm not talking are you about really this, are... you know i'm not talking about just sort of jumping in and having a recreational dive at like 10 meters in the lovely warm waters but when you're pushing the boundaries, you know, some of this hard diving that you've been been doing. Um do in the in the water on age? In the water, certainly not. Out of the water, potentially, right? Like how to get to the dive set or not. Yeah. Um but you can specifically if, that, if it's you? by having yeah, you know, help. if you talk if you if you talk some diving, you can't. Mm. Because once you pass the first sump, it's hard to get people there to help you. Okay. Um, if it's not some diving, like in most of the places like Haiti, uh, and anywhere in Africa or places like this, we usually have uh, porters, people that help us to carry stuff. Yes, but I mean, for sure, you have to to stay physical fit. Uh, Philip in his late fifties, but I mean, the guy does like six hour surf sessions and is like a yoga master. Uh, if I would think of my dad, my dad is sixty, sixty. He's born fifty five, so he's going to be sixty nine. Um, he's a hunter here in the mountains. He's like up in the mountains all the time. He could mm-hmm. most definitely do most of the stuff that that I'm doing still. So, yeah. I think it depends a lot on on how you treat yourself. Right, stay physical fit for sure. What I can see a lot in divers that are a bit older is flexibility. Right. When when people really don't stretch at all, like I don't say you have to do yoga, don't get me wrong, but when people don't stretch at all, lifting heavy stuff around at some point really takes a toll on your back. Yeah. So yeah. so staying physically active. Uh and and I mean, dude, check out Ed Sorensen. Ed Sorensen is 60, 
62 or 63, just yeah. survived cancer. And when he came to Mexico, we went to the gym every day in the morning and the guy's an animal, <laughs> literally. So no, I don't think there's, there's much of a limit. So maybe you're right. Maybe I can do another 20 years. You, exactly. There was a phrase um, that came to mind and, and it's not so much your age is what matters. It's how you are old. And that is very true because yeah. some people do, don't age well um, for all sorts of reasons. Um but you know, and some people do. And fitness, we're diving. Um, I I can lift, you know. I'm, you know, I can lift tanks and things like that. Well, but where I struggle is with flexibility, like doing shutdowns on a twin sets, and because I really stress. That's, that's so easy. That's, that's so easy to fix. That's so easy to I'm fix. I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah, it's so easy to fix. I would recommend. I will always recommend yoga because I really believe in yoga. But of course, yoga has like this really bad reputation, I guess, specifically amongst men because it's not seen to be very manly. But I can most definitely tell you uh, a couple of the yoga instructors that I had can pull off stuff that most super strong guys from the gym can't even oh, yeah, dream bet. of being yeah. doing, right? So I think for sure yoga is, uh, is a really, really great practice for that to keep flexibility because also that's another thing right if you go to the gym a lot and you lift a lot of heavy weight at some point you become a prison in, in your own body right because your muscles and and your tendons become so short mm. that it's really quite counterproductive and then all of this you know muscle tension can be really hard for your your skeleton also and for your for your nerve. like a lot of the back pains people have just because their muscles are so strong and they're constantly pulling on stuff and specifically, if they don't pull the same amount on the right and on the left, then you will have a lot of back pain and other pains from it. So yeah. staying flexible. You, we could also, of course, go into diet, but I don't really want to touch the subject because I think <laughs> well, I'm going to upset a lot of people. Yeah, but the basics, you know, you're right with the basics. But, but certainly, you know, maybe don't eat too much red meat. Uh, you know, do a little bit of, of stretching. You know, maybe not yoga, but do some stretching. Yeah. A bunch of those things can really, really help you yeah. to be still super active and fit when you're older. Yeah. Like I said, my exploration partner, Philip, in his late 50s, and I mean, the guy annihilates me in yoga. I mean, when it comes to flexibility, I'm not <laughs> even nowhere near this guy. And when it comes to like uh, endurance, like I said, the guy does a six hour surf sessions. Wow. Most 14, 15 year olds have to come out on the beach at least two or three times to take a break. Yeah, so, that's incredible. He does. He does walk extremely slow through the jungle and bush. Though I have to, I have to admit that it's a bit annoying sometimes. Because of course, I have to wait for him. And then he says something like, "Patrick, it doesn't matter how slow you go as long as you don't stop." And I'm like, <laughs> "Philip, it really does matter because the sun's gonna go down and we're gonna be stuck here." <laughs> we get there eventually. <laughs> yeah. So, um. You you know you 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 come over very confident, and I'm sure you are, and uh, everything you've said reinforces that. What gets you out of your comfort zone, though? Many things. Like what? You see, I'm 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 really I'm very confident when it, uh, um, confident when it comes to diving. Why? Because I've been doing it for a really really long time. Yeah, and. And not only that, I traveled a lot and I met a lot of the really, really big guys in the diving industry. Uh, little Sa Paul Tumor, for example, that runs raids, that, uh, very, very big on the uh, UK diving industry. Uh, he did cave training with me. So I've been around since a really long time and 
I trained and have been diving with a lot of really, really big names in the diving industry. So I'm, I, I know, I know what I know and I know what I don't know, if that makes sense. Yeah. Right. I certainly don't know everything. That's the fun part about diving also. Every year, you also find out all of the stuff that you have absolutely zero idea about. Good place. So, which also keeps, which also keeps it interesting, right? Because there's so much more to learn. I'm most definitely a better diver than I was last year. Yeah. Uh, and, and most definitely than two years before that. I also practice a lot. When I mean practicing diving, I don't talk about like doing shutdown drills and, and, and launching SMBs. I talk about going into a shallow pool, removing my fins, and then holding trim position with my legs closed, trying not to move an inch. Right, and core, uh, engaging my core muscles, uh, trying to stay balanced because that's the. If you really boil it down, there's no skill in diving that's actually difficult. Right, imagine the most difficult thing that you can imagine: the, the valve down, down, valve shutdown drill. Okay, if you can sit on a table while doing it, do you still consider it to be difficult? It's really not. Right, doing it underwater, try while you're in balance, while eighty percent of your brain is just trying not to fall over. Well, that it become that makes it difficult right so if you master the being on the water parts if you master the balance of it right and and suddenly being in the water feels like sitting in a chair well now everything becomes mm. almost crazy this what, easy this is what jeff seckendorf was telling us about mm. teaching as who's in do you know i know jeff, jeff. yeah and, utd yes. divers yeah yes. about the buoyancy the one of the first things they teach is buoyancy you know and the teaching's all done at boy, you know, neutrally buoyant. Students learn about being neutrally buoyant, and you know, the, people aren't kneeling down and what have you to learn skills. And it's all about being comfort, comfortable in the water, which is really something that Chiwi started. You know, I don't know, like late nineties. Uh, and then uh, other agencies like UTD uh, did it as well. UTD also had like Andrew Dragitis in it, which was one of the first technical training directors, I think, of GE. And then uh, ultimately Ray doing the same. And I think also now like even agencies like Paddy and SSI and other recreation agencies kind of like uh, jump on that, finally jump on, jump on that train. But certainly I would strongly recommend to people for practice, just remove your fins. Uh, your, your fins are like like training wheels, like crutches. You really only understand how stable you are underwater once your fins are off. That's amazing. Because you, you, you use your fins so much without even realizing. Your subconscious brain is like constantly using them to help you stabilize. So in a moment that's gone, you really learn how to dive. So you got all your kit on, you're in the pool, yes. and then you take your yes. fins off. Yes. And you try to hover without moving. We can try that next ideally, Wednesday. <laughs> I, ideally... Ideally, keeping your legs together. What but to get you back to get back to your original question, comfort what makes zone. me feel? <laughs> yeah. What gets me out of my comfort zone? A lot of things. Uh, even though I come across as really, you know, an extrovert and and super comfortable, I'm I'm really not. So, uh, two years ago, I became the training director for Kiss Rebuilders. And so far as an instructor trainer, as an IT, I really wasn't an IT. I really only trained people that work for me. So I only believed in like mentoring people. So somebody that would like work for me and, and you know, like uh, watch me teach. And then we would teach together, team teaching. And then he would ultimately teach on his own with me just sitting there watching. And if that was good, I would be like, hey, congratulations, you're an instructor now. 
And as a training director, suddenly I'm in a position where I have to tell other people what to do. Right? I have to make the decisions on you know what exercises we do and how we do them. And and now I've like all of these really super famous and 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 experienced instructors around the world. And now I'm supposed to, you know, be the person that causes shots. So I really don't like that at all. It's putting a lot of, it has been really a lot of strain on my psychology and my personality the past two years, specifically when we stopped instructor training, because, you know, KISS went into a different direction and we were not sure what we're going to do and uh, what's going to be with the new rebreather. And should we, you know, like, are we continue the old rebreathers or not? And how we're going to do the instructor training and how we're going to do the quality assurance. Like there's all of these open question marks. We just stopped instructor training. And suddenly I received like all of these messages and phone calls from all of these people around the world, just, you know, threatening me, insulting me, bullying me, trying to get me to like, you know, make an exception for me. And if you don't do this, I'm going to, Mm. it was just mayhem. And that was really painful for me, specifically when it came from like people that I know and respect and then, you know, there was all of this like, oh, we have to go now to see Patrick in Mexico to get knighted by him. And he clearly thinks he's better than all of us. And, you know, what do I know about rebuild diving? I've only been doing it for like 10 years. You know, certainly I can learn something from you. And this was just really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, it still is, but it was really hard and it still is pretty hard for me because yeah. I'm just really not that person. And it's hard if... You know, generally, people just from knowing me from Facebook and the internet have like these insane opinions about who I am, and most of them think I'm this, you know, self-righteous, arrogant person who, and I'm just like I don't, I, I don't think I am that way. But, and at least if you want to have this opinion of me, you know, first get to know me, hang out yeah. with me, and then yeah. see if if that's still if it's still like that. And that's exactly, and that's, you know, the downfall of social media It is very one-dimensional and people see a picture or a video, but they have no way of, like, getting to know you as a real person. No. Yeah. Yeah, so... But so I, th- I think this is this is what gets me... There's a lot of things that get me out of my comfort zone. Doing public speaking gets <laughs> me out of my comfort zone. Like I told you, travelling to uh, another place with way less conditions that I'm used to. I just taught in Zurich Lake uh, last week. Visibility was like a meter and a half. There was seven people in the water. Uh, there's like almost no form of reference. They are very extremely silty bottom. There's you know nothing where you can mm-hmm. hold your students around. Then the only like platform that they had is like very close to boat traffic. So we would have like the turbines of the of the ferry that goes across the lake every 20 minutes, uh, very close to train tracks. The train tracks would pass by. You would feel like your organs jump up and down. <laughs> and the people that I taught are like instructor trainers from TDI. Wow. So it's just like, yeah, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, but uh, to, after you've done it, how do you, you must feel you've done it and you've got through it and you feel like. Well, I specifically because the people loved it, right? When when somebody that's an instructor trainer for like a I don't know a decade tells you, hey, this is really awesome. I really had a great time. I learned a lot, even about something that I thought I knew everything, which happens to me a lot too. Okay, but of course that's that's you know that feels pretty pretty amazing. Yeah, musty. Yeah, yeah. No, really good. So another question we ask our guests is if you had a billboard. So this is to the whole world and you're going to put okay. 
you're going to put a message on it so it can be words it can be a video it can be an image pictures what would you put on your billboard and why no shortcuts just that sentence it's the one thing i believe in more than anything yeah i think we live in a world where everybody asks you for the easiest way or the fastest way or how can i do this with the least effort as possible and it's just literally the dumbest thing you can possibly do because you rob yourself of the feeling of victory right why if you think of something right if uh you think about something that has really amazing buoyancy why do you think it's cool to have because you know it was crazy difficult to get right if everybody would have good buoyancy we wouldn't think about buoyancy as something special mm. right but because we know it's difficult to do we give it a lot of value so if you think about something and that's not that goes beyond diving for your own life if you think about uh what you want to don't take the easy route because trust me you will feel nothing even if you have what you wanted to have if it came to you easy there will be no pleasure no satisfaction no nothing from it look for something that's difficult look for something that's going to take time energy that's going to get make you go out of bed early uh live a healthy life put effort plus volunteers that is going to give you a feeling that no other person no drug no absolutely nothing will be able to reproduce and once you feel this feeling one time it's going to be completely infectious and it's going to make you addicted and you want to have more and more and more of this feeling of victory of just like looking for something that seems completely unattainable and impossible and then you just reach it yeah so up don't look for shortcuts never no and that, i think that applies to anything i've been listening to a podcast about anything yeah ultra or people that run and then they do a marathon and then they do an ultra marathon and that ultra becomes marathon. That, yeah that becomes a drug for them and then they have to do more and more but they enjoy it and it's a challenge and you can just see how Which, infectious i think that i think they're crazy <laughs> right but yes I <laughs> but it falls but it falls in that category yeah 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 well you can apply it to any kind of it's be like people that yes. learn to drive they can do like a really quick three-day course or they can do a long course but who gets the yes. most experience and the most enjoyment it's the people that do the long course yeah, yeah. but but so but certainly just don't take shortcuts right and i think in marathon running there's not a lot of shortcuts but certainly in diving there's a crazy amount of shortcuts, right? You find the right guy. You can be from nothing to whatever you want in like 18 months, just being $10,000 uh, poorer. And, and this is just, this is just crazy. But it's, it's finally a side story. I, had a, I have an employee currently. Uh, he came into my office some five or six years ago. And he was, so he must have been like 23 or something like that. So he came into my office and he said, hey, you know, I would like to work in ProTech because you guys are clearly like the coolest shop around here when it comes to technical and cave diving. So I want to work for you. And I'm like, okay, what's your experience? It's like, well, you know, I'm a rebreather instructor. I'm a this instructor and that instructor. And I'm like, hang on a second. How old are you? You're 23. So you can only be a diving professional since like two or four years. I'm like, okay. And, and then he said, well, and I'm really super tired of just doing like DSDs in open waters. And I'm like, hang on a second. You've been doing these, these in open waters for how much time? Like a day and a half? Get out of my office. Get out of my office. Uh, get some experience. Learn how to speak Spanish. Uh, get your shit together and, 
you know, then come back and see me again. And I was sure I will never see that person again. About a year and a few months later, he came back into my office and he was like, so I did, I taught these classes. I went to these caves. I'm, I, I learned, I'm on a Spanish school since six months. I can do this and I can do that. So what's up? And, and yeah, he's been working for me ever since. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, he's really quite exceptional. Um, I think in every trainer's life, you always kind of like hope to find people that are similar to you. Maybe not so much in in skill or whatever, but just in attitude and how they yeah. see the thing that, that they love the thing that you love as much as you do, and they're gonna give it as much respect, time, and effort as you do. And every once in a while, you're lucky enough to find somebody that's maybe gonna do it better than you, and and you have the possibility to be part in that path to then create the true next generation that's going to take whatever you know and can do as a base for their own progress. And then they're going to be, you know, I don't know, bringing your sport or your achievements to a whole new level yeah. in, in their generation and then be able to give that to the next generation. So, yeah. so this is certainly something that I'm looking that I'm, you know, I'm very fortunate and very stoked about to have in my life, right. Yeah. To, to really find people that take this to heart They'd be like, I don't want nothing for free. I don't want nothing given. You know, I wanna, I wanna have, I wanna have the highest, most unattainable goal possible, and then I'm gonna spend my life trying to reach it. Yeah, and that's a great way to kind of call the podcast to an end. <laughs> you know, it, it that message applies to divers and non-divers, and yeah. it is a life lesson, isn't it? I definitely think so. Yeah. I definitely think so because you know living my life I spend a lot of time very far away from my family I haven't seen my family on a regular basis since I'm 19 but there's always moments like the last time I felt this was in Brazil during exploration it was very far to get to the water and I actually didn't dive but because Brazilian team members had a, had a gear malfunction I just helped to bring their their equipment to the water so they could go diving and and they couldn't believe that they were like hang on a second you came all the way here from mexico we invited you and, and you're not going to dive you just help us to carry the equipment so we can go dive so one of them actually funny enough he said you know you're so different than what we thought you are <laughs> and i was like i don't know if that's a compliment or not so anyway so they go underwater and i'm just drenched in my own sweat because i was just three and a half hours just non-stop uh hauling equipment in and out of the cave so i'm just like completely exaggerated uh, uh exhausted sitting on the floor plunged in my own in my own sweat and in that moment i just sat there and i thought wow i can't believe where i'm sitting right i'm in brazil i'm from a 700 people village in the middle of the mountains nobody knows about and i'm in brazil exploring a virgin cave and and i just you know all of the experience and, and stuff that i needed to be efficient to bring the equipment here and, and to do all of this i just can't believe it and i had to think about my family and i got really emotional and i started crying and I sent them like this 10 minute voice message, uh, which obviously didn't go through in that moment because there's no reception, but I did, um, <laughs> I recorded in WhatsApp. And I'm like, you know, I know it's such a huge sacrifice not to see you guys ever. And I, and I missed, you know, the, the, the youth of my nephew. And, and you know, I, I missed so much time with my family, but at the end of the day, you know, being here and experiencing those things is just so completely overwhelming. And I'm so grateful for it. And 
Yeah. I don't know. It's just whatever sacrifice I had to make in my life and whatever pain and, and, and hardship I had, it's just worth it just to be here and experiencing this. Yeah. No, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really good. So if people want to find out more about you, where is the best place for them to go? I would just send them to the ProTech webpage. It's yeah. uh, com. I think that's, that's the easiest and me in person, social media, I reckon, just on Facebook or, or Instagram. Yeah. Well, we'll put those in the show. I'm not, I'm, yeah, I'm not super good with the whole social media thing sometimes. When I'm traveling and I have more spare time, then I'm more on it. When I'm posting, not that much, but I do like the stories. But when I'm in Mexico and I'm like head over here and like work, I usually kind of like drop it again. Yeah, no. Well, it all takes time, social media. We know that. It's just a time consuming. But no, that's been an awesome podcast. So thank you very much for, yeah, Yeah. all all your inspiration. My my pleasure. Yeah, Yeah, no, it's been awesome. Yeah. Yeah, really good. Yeah, really. I I really had a great time too. Yeah, no, I'm really, yeah, pleased that we connected and uh, you've come on because that podcast will, yeah, really inspire a lot of people, I'm sure. Yeah. I I certainly hope so because Mm -hmm. life is short and and i just hope you know people go out and find something that they love and then let it consume them and just throw themselves at it yeah because if there's anything that we can take with us into the next life it's maybe the experiences that we had on this planet and so don't wait uh don't wait don't waste your time just go out and do something that's cool that's right. And it's like coming across people like you, you know, you've inspired me. I'm sure you have Ian and, yeah. you know, you'll inspire our listeners as well. So it's, yeah. So. I hope so. <laughs> no, it's been brilliant. Thanks yeah. very much for coming on. Yeah. You yeah. Know, so uh, Thanks to you guys. Have a good one. Well, we want to say uh, thank you to Patrick. Um, you know, what a great. Um, great guest. <laughs> great <laughs> guest. Um, and, you know, hour and a half we've been talking and uh, so much in it, you know, and it, to come off the back of, you know, when we were talking to Jeff Seckendorf, there's a lot of sort of few similarities there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, right from the start, one of the questions I, I just never thought of, uh, you know, I wonder if he'd... Um, what if he could have mapped out, you know, and saw where he is now when I he first it. started? And, yeah. You know, it brings us back to that same thing, is it? When you start diving, you never know where it's going to lead. And that's one of the things right. I've been saying to, to Honey, you know, uh, you know, the whole open water cert, you know, is literally just that first step. The very beginning, yeah. But everything that he said, you know, it applies to anything in life. And yeah, he's an amazing diver. He's got amazing experiences, amazing future ahead of him. Yeah. But his grounding and in, you know, just the, uh, well, it's like nugget. He's given us so many nuggets tonight of yeah, and life inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. I. I yeah I, I wasn't expecting this and i get what, what he was saying that people said to him um you know they weren't expecting like that because i think he he when you speak to him like when we spoke to him at the go diving show he was quite reserved yeah, um, yeah. and you know and there's obviously a lot behind that you know with you know i i've mentioned it a couple of times in the podcast but can you imagine going down and being down at those depths on your own mm. and 
that's not a, an easy task. And, um, and I'm I'm sure there'll be tech divers to shout and back going, yes, it is, blah, 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 or whatever. But on your own, when you're pretty new to it, mm. that's that's quite a feat. Yeah, but also that he's seeked out the people that he wants to dive with or wants want to learn from. That is just so that's made him the guy he is today. You know, when we think of some of the people we've mm. had on, um, who said similar things, you know, and it is about that instructor. It doesn't matter about the agency quite so much, you know, because uh, uh, if somebody isn't an engaging instructor you are going to learn from them. If they care about their students and know that, you know, they're putting that fire in them, you know, those students are going to pick that up and go, I want some of what they've got. Yeah. And can you imagine all, if every young diver that's about to start their open water had that passion, passion yeah you know and this is where it is exciting i think especially for people like honey um because you've got people who will be coming on if they get in with a uh, an instructor like patrick um you know the jeff second doors the christina's of this world yeah you know who are um it's not just about the dime it's the way they teach is the way they come over. Um, it goes deeper than the diving. Well, they're going to get, they're going to say, Hey, I want some of that. Mix that with science and things like that. And you don't, the world, world's your oyster. Gone. And yeah, look at Patrick. He's been to so many corners of the world, remote places. And you can see that that really. But this, this is where worlds get changed because of people like this because people like patrick give a stuff yeah yeah they do care and and you we we need that in the diving world and we need that as a world you know where they are engaging and go i do care that those people understand that you know this is serious business but look where it will then go yeah yeah yeah. and yeah i well, that's really, really good podcast. And, you know, he he's kind of inspired fire within me. And it's just, you know, and I'm sure every listener that has listened to that podcast will feel the same. But, oh, my God, what a small world. Because, like, some of the names. I know. <laughs> he, he was really, and I was like, yep, yep, yep. You know, yeah. Ed Sorison, what have you. You know, he's like, wow, yeah, these are all names. Uh, Kiss Rebreathers and, you know, not yeah. 90 service and kiss rebreathers it's all all linked all linked it's all linked yeah. yeah the world's a huge place but it is quite a small diving world and yeah some of the names that he reeled off yeah looked them up that book actually and um the book um it, uh, he mentioned is is actually on uh amazon beyond deep beyond the deep and uh really quite an interesting book actually when, when i was mm flicking through and um yeah uh quite an exciting book so uh, worth having a read of and to have a look at yes yeah. yes yeah i think so i think so yeah. oh well that was a great podcast so yeah we hope you enjoyed that we want yeah. to say thank you very much for downloading uh this episode let um, us know what you think 
of the podcast. Yeah. Do you agree? Maybe you know, mm. it's the free world. You don't have to agree with everything Patrick has said or us. Um, so if you don't, let us Tell know. Us. <laughs> you know um, don't forget there is like a whole plethora of episodes. There's uh, three years of episodes that go before this and with all sorts of people, explorers, cave divers, uh, also on our YouTube, uh, when we spoke to them um, just recently with some of them at Go Dive Show, Christina. Yeah. And we did a brief um, uh, catch up with Patrick at the Go Diving Show. That's where it all started. So, yeah, have a look at that and a, a watch of that on the YouTube channel. Yeah. So, yeah. But no, thank you for downloading. And uh, yeah, do let us know what you think. And if you've got any guests that you want to recommend, let us know. And uh, we hope you enjoyed it. There certainly is. We are in the pool next week. We've got some pool time because we've got to <laughs> work on some skills. Outside. We've got a lot to do. We've got to full face masks. We've got to do our skills with that. Just have a bit of a practice. And I think we should take our fins off now. Yeah, but uh, yeah, why not? <laughs> yes. And try. And it is tricky. You know, Polly was saying this to Honey and uh, one of the other girls last night. You know, in in shallow water. Um, it is tricky, you know, when you've only got like a couple of meters of water mm -hmm. and uh, ha having a good a good uh, buoyancy and, and having a hover, especially for someone who's new, is tricky, isn't it? You know, no shortcuts. And, uh, you have to learn it. You know, and if you unless you're a cave diver, you know, um, you know, or going into that sort of world, how many of us practice holding a good buoyancy? Mm -hmm. Just holding a good buoyancy, a good hover. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, there'll be something to do next Wednesday um while we're in the pool. Yeah. No, looking forward to it. No. Yep. Yeah. So once again, thanks to Patrick for giving us that time. Yeah, that was awesome, Patrick. So thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. Uh don't forget to leave us a five star review on uh iTunes if you listen to us there. Uh and uh, always helps uh spread the message, helps other divers find us so yeah. uh, please do that tell your fellow divers if you've listened to the podcast um mention it to your friends and family and other people yeah. you dive with and say oh, have a we listen want a new flag out as well aren't we so yes. uh, because uh we wanted to incorporate our lovely sponsors at narked at 90 and our updated logo because we've updated our logo haven't yes we, yeah, over yeah. The last, when did we do that last year yeah, so, yeah. Uh, we've got a new flag and that'll be out next time we're uh, um well, wherever we, we're diving next. Yep, yep. So, yep, we've got lots of exciting things happening ahead. It certainly is. So, uh, but I think for right now. That was, that was the big, big scuba podcast. <laughs> and thank you very much for downloading and we'll see you on the next one. See you soon. Thank you very much. Now that does wrap up today's episode of the Big Scuba podcast. But if you want to hear more from the podcast, make sure you hit that subscribe or follow button depending on what platform you are listening on that way you will never miss an episode from us but if you are listening on apple podcasts and did enjoy what you heard today we would really appreciate it if you head to the show page to leave a five-star rating and review it really does help us if you do, please take a screenshot of that review and send it to us on Instagram and we'll give you a shout out to say a big thank you. If you have any questions for us or anything that has been mentioned in today's episode, be sure to reach out to us 
on any of our social media platforms or send us an email. The links are in the show notes. We will get back to you no matter what. If you have made it to this point in the episode, we both want to say a big, big thank you for tuning in and we'll see you on the next episode. Music